Chapter 37 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 37 A Shock. Count Tristan, on reaching Madeleine's residence, was ushered into her boudoir. He found her reclining upon the sofa with a book in her hand. She had not entirely recovered from her indisposition, and wisely thought that one of the most effectual modes of battling against illness was to divert her mind, an invaluable medicine, too little in vogue among the suffering, yet calculated to produce marvellous amelioration of physical pain, as all matter exists from, and is influenced by, spiritual causes, the happy working of this mental ministry are very comprehensible. Madeleine invariably found medicinal and restorative properties in the pages of an interesting and helpful-toned volume which would draw out of the contemplation of her own ailments. She had trained herself when the prostration of her faculties or other circumstances rendered it impossible for her to read, to lie still and reflect upon all the blessings that were accorded to her to count them over one by one and compel herself to estimate each at its full value in this manner she successfully counteracted the depression and unrest that attended bodily disease and often succeeded in lifting her mind so far above its disordered mortal medium that she was hardly conscious of suffering which was nevertheless very real skeptical reader you smile in doubt and think that if madeleine's wisdom and patience could accomplish this feat she was a rare instance of womanhood try her experiment faithfully and then decide madeleine only partially rose when count tristan entered my dear niece my dearest madeleine i hope you are not ill although the count spoke with an air of exaggerated affection his manner was far more self-possessed than when he left the hotel the fresh air had revived him madeleine was not struck by any singularity in his deportment not exactly ill yet not quite well she answered without pretending to respond to his oppressive tenderness and i was trying to forget myself that is always your way madeleine you are always forgetting yourself and remembering others i always said so i always appreciated your beautiful traits the time has come when your whole family will appreciate them and rejoice that you are restored to us my mother is in a very different frame of mind to-day you must forget all that took place yesterday you must forgive the past and accept the hand of reconciliation which she extends to you is it possible that the countess de graymont has charged you to say this for her this and a great deal more she opens her arms to you hereafter you two are to be as mother and daughter count tristan spoke with so much earnestness that probably he had succeeded in believing his own liberally invented statements it seems very strange returned madeleine yet i thank the countess for her unlooked-for cordiality 
I do not know what good angel has opened her heart to me, but I am grateful if she will give me a place there. The good angel in question was Lord Linden, answered the Count, quite seriously. His lordship called this morning. I left him with my mother. Lord Linden? Yes, it was at his suggestion I hastened here. Ah, uh, not that I thought any influence of mine was needed, but just now it is well to keep in with everyone, and you must oblige me by permitting Lord Linden to imagine that is through my advocacy you were induced to look favorably upon his suit. That is impossible, not at all. A mere suggestion in your letter will have the desired effect. You have not answered Lord Linden's letter yet, have you? No. I intend to reply this morning, and... That's right. You will grant me this favor, I know you will. Say that, after having conversed with me, you accept the offer of his hand. I mean to decline it in the most definite manner. Decline? cried Count Tristan, breathing hard, while his face rapidly changed color, for at one moment it was overspread with a death-like pallor, and then suddenly grew purple. Decline! Such a thing is not to be thought of. You're jesting. I was never more serious in my life. But you will think better of the matter. You will listen to reason. You will reverse your decision, pleaded the Count his nervous incoherence and confusion increasing as he grew more and more agitated. It is for the honor of the family to say yes, and therefore yes is the proper answer. Eh, Madeleine, don't joke any more, my dear. It troubles me. It gives me a throbbing and heavy weight in my brain. All's right, is it not? Count Tristan lay back in his chair and continued muttering, though his words were no longer comprehensible. Madeleine now began to grow alarmed, and approaching him, said kindly, "'Can I give you anything? You are not well. Let me order you a glass of wine.' He stared at her with vacant, glassy eyes, while his lips moved and twitched without giving forth any distinct sounds. He lifted up his arms in appeal, they dropped suddenly, as if struck by a giant's invisible hand, and his head fell forward heavily. Madeleine, greatly terrified, spoke to him again and again, shook him gently by the shoulder to rouse him, tried to lift his head. The face she succeeded in turning towards her was frightfully distorted. White foam oozed from his lips. The eyes were suffused with blood. She had never before seen in a person a fit, but instinct told her the nature of the seizure. Her violent ringing of the bell quickly brought forth servants to her assistance, and she ordered Robert to summon Dr. Bayard with the utmost haste. This distinguished physician pronounced the attack apoplexy, and, after applying those remedies which recent discoveries in science had proved most efficacious, ordered the patient to be undressed and put to bed. Madeleine's own chamber was prepared for the Count's use. The attack was of brief duration, and he recovered from its violence soon after the physician arrived, but remained exhausted and insensible. Another critical case required Dr. Bayard's immediate attendance, and, after giving 
at Madeleine minute directions, he took his leaves, saying that he would return in a couple of hours. Then Madeleine, who had been engrossed in the necessity of promptly ministering to the sufferer, remembered that the Count's family should at once be made aware of his condition. What a frightful shock the Countess would receive when she heard of her son's state! And Maurice and Bertha, would they not be greatly alarmed? How could intelligence of the calamity be most gently communicated? Should Madeleine write? A note bearing the tidings might startle the mother too much. Madeleine saw but one alternative. It was to go in person and break the sorrowful news as delicately as possible. She did not waste a moment in pondering upon the manner in which the haughty countess might receive her, but ordered her carriage and drove to the hotel, leaving Count Tristan under the charge of Ruth and Mrs. Lawkins, the housekeeper. Arrived at her destination, Madeleine ordered her servant to inquire for the Vicomte de Grémont. He was not at home. Was Mademoiselle de Merville at home? The same reply. Was the Countess de Grémont at home? Madeleine could not help at hoping that a negative would again be returned, for she grew sick at heart at the prospect of encountering her aunt alone. The Countess was within. Madeleine's card was requested. She had none. What name should the servant give? Here was another difficulty. She was only known as Mademoiselle Melanie. She could not make use of her real name. Besides, she feared that the Countess would deny her omission if she was aware who was her visitor. But something must be done. Madame de Gremont had issued orders that prevented any guest from entering her presence without permission. Madeleine asked for a sheet of note paper, and, with her pencil, hastily wrote, Madeleine entreats the Countess de Gremont to see her for a moment. She has a matter of importance to communicate. The servant returned almost immediately, and, replacing the note in Madeleine's hand, said, the Countess de Gremont desires me to say that she is engaged. It is absolutely necessary that I should see Madame de Gremont, replied Madeleine. I will bear the blow her displeasure if you will show me to her apartment. The lady is very rigid, ma'am. I don't dare. She will be angry at first, I admit, returned Madeleine. But her dissatisfaction will not last when she knows upon the errand I have come. I can confidently promise you that. Perhaps you will consider this money sufficient compensation for her displeasure, should I prove wrong, and if I am right, you can keep it in payment for having served me. She handed him a piece of gold, which the man took with so little hesitation, it left no doubt upon Madeleine's mind that he was well acquainted with the nature of a bribe. "'I will do what I can, ma'am, if you will take the blame,' replied he. Madeleine alighted, followed him into the door of the room, which he designated as the drawing-room of the countess, and then desired him to retire. He obeyed with well-pleased alacrity. The young girl had been trembling from agitation until that moment, but there was necessity for calmness in executing her mission. She opened the door with a firm hand, and entered the apartment with unfaltering steps. The countess was sitting with her back turned to the entrance. She did not perceive Madeleine until the latter stood beside her. 
Madame de Grebemont pushed back her chair with a repellent gesture, and, before her niece could speak, asked indignantly, "'What is the meaning of this intrusion? Did you not receive my message, Mademoiselle de Grebemont, and understand that I declined to see you?' "'I received it, madame,' returned Madeleine, mildly and mournfully, "'but I feel sure you will pardon the intrusion I could not avoid when you learn the cause which brings me here.' I can divine your errand, Mademoiselle de Grémont. You probably imagine that, because I permitted my son to say that your marriage with Lord Lyndon would, after a proper interval, allow me to acknowledge you once more as a relative, your mere acceptance of his lordship's hand entitles you to seize upon any frivolous excuse to force yourself upon my privacy. You are mistaken." I have no intention of recognizing the Mantua-maker, and I forbid her to make any attempt to hold the most transient intercourse with me. I have already said I will receive Lady Linden when I meet her in another country, where her history is unknown, but not until then. And now I must request you to retire, or I will compel you to leave my own apartment." Madeleine had made one or two fruitless attempts to interrupt the countess, but now, as the latter moved towards the door, about to put her threat into execution, the young girl sprang after her and said beseechingly, "'I implore you not to go until you hear me. I did not come to speak of myself at all. I came in hope of sparing you too severe a shock. Very generous on your part, but somewhat misjudged as your unwelcome presence has given me as great a shock as I could well sustain. Ah, oh, aunt, Madame de Gremont, do not speak so harshly to me. I have scarcely strength or courage left to tell you. I came to speak of, of Count Tristan. My son seems to have chosen a somewhat singular messenger, and one who he was well aware would be far from acceptable, returned the countess, wholly unmoved. He did not send me. I came myself. He is not aware of my coming, for, for... Madeleine's voice failed her, and the countess took up her words. For you desired to make me fully sensible of the length to which you carried your audacity. So be it. I am satisfied. Mademoiselle de Gremont, for the second time, I request you to retire. I cannot. Until I have told you that Count Tristan is... is not is not quite well. That is, he became indisposed at my house. In that case, it would have appeared to me more natural, and certainly more proper, if he had returned to his old residence and spared me the pain of becoming apprised of his indisposition by an unwelcome messenger. He had no choice, or, rather, I had none, I feared to have the news broken in any manner that might alarm you too much, and therefore I would not even trust myself to write. Count Tristan was seized with, I mean, was taken ill while conversing with me. He is not in a state to return home at present, and I came to beg that his mother or his son will go to him. I comprehend you, Mademoiselle de Gremont. You are always politic in the highest degree. You know how to make the best of opportunities. 
you find my son's temporary indisposition an admirable opportunity to lure his relatives to your house and to make known to the world your connection with them your well-laid dramatic little plot will fail your good acting has not succeeded in alarming me and i see no reason why count tristan de gramont in spite of his sudden illness should not send for a carriage and return to the hotel by your own confession the step you have taken is unwarranted for you admitted that my son was not aware of your intention because he is too ill to be aware of it madame replied madeleine with an involuntary accent of reproach the cold and cruel conduct of the countess did not render her niece less compassionate less fearful of wounding but it inspired her with resolution which she had before lacked to impart the fearful tidings he is too ill to be moved at this moment i sent for medical aid at once and everything has been done to restore him restore him what do you mean almost shrieked the countess now becoming painfully excited and struggling against her fear as though by disbelieving the calamity which had befallen her son she could alter the fact why do you try to alarm me in this manner it is very inconsiderate very cruel you do it to revenge yourself upon me where is maurice where is bertha i must have someone near me on whom i can depend why am i left at your mercy i have asked for maurice and bertha before i attempted to force my way to you returned madeleine i was told that neither was at home pray do not allow yourself to become much distressed i have no doubt that we shall find count tristan better we shall find what do you mean by we shall find sternly demanded the countess whose grief and alarm did not conquer her pride though her voice trembled as she asked the question my carriage is at the door i thought i might venture to propose that you would enter it and return home with me to my house that no time might be lost madeline said this with quiet dignity your carriage and you expect me to be seen with you in your carriage i cannot comprehend your object mademoiselle de gramont what possesses you to try to exasperate me with your insolent propositions pardon me i did not mean to add to your trouble if my suggestion was injudicious disregard it nothing can be easier than to send for another carriage will you allow me to ring the bell for you to do so and since you do not wish to be seen in my company i can leave the house before you and you expect me to follow you expect that i will order the carriage to drive to the residence of mademoiselle melanie the mantua maker you need only say drive to blank street number blank my errand here is at an end i pray you to pardon me if i have executed it clumsily my sole intention was to spare you pain and i almost fear that i have caused you more than i have shielded from you madeleine was retiring but the countess called her back stay you have not told me all yet what is the matter with my son was it a fainting fit i never knew him guilty of the weakness of fainting 
it was difficult to answer this question without explaining the grave nature of the attack. Madeleine was silent. Do you not hear me? Why do you not answer? The doctor did not call it a fainting fit, was Madeleine's vague response. Yet Count Tristan was in a state of insensibility and had not spoken when I left him. Why did you leave him then? How could you have been so neglectful? The countess burst out, though it was a relief to have someone upon whom she could vent her wrath. If he is seriously ill, so ill as to continue insensible, you should have remained by his side and not left him to the improper treatment of strangers. It is abominable, outrageous. I will gladly hasten back. Pray be composed, madame, and let us hope for a favorable change. I expect to find him better. Before you reach the house, his consciousness may have returned. Madeleine retired without waiting for any further comment, for she had an internal conviction that whatever she did or said would be unpleasant to her aunt in her present troubled state. There was no perceptible alteration in the condition of Count Tristan. Ruth, who was sitting by his side, said he had scarcely stirred. His face still wore a purplish hue, and his glassy, bloodshot eyes, though wide open, were vacant and expressionless. He lay as still as if deprived of sensation and motion. Madeleine had been home nearly an hour before she heard the carriage which contained the countess stop at the door. Madame de Gremont, even in a case of such extremity, was not able to complete her arrangements hurriedly. Madeleine, when she went forth to receive her relative, was much relieved to find her accompanied by Bertha. Bertha threw herself into Madeleine's arms, whispering, Is he very ill? Yes, I fear so, answered Madeleine, in too low a voice for the countess to hear. Then, turning to Madame de Gremont, she inquired gently, Do you wish to go to him at once? For what other purpose have I come? was the ungracious rejoinder. Madeleine led the way to the apartment and motioned Ruth to withdraw. The countess walked up the, to the bed with a firm step, as though nerving herself to disbelieve that anything serious was the matter. My son, she said in a voice somewhat choked, but which expressed confidence that he would immediately reply. My son, why do you not answer me? She took his hand. It remained passive in hers. His eyes still stared vacantly. His mother more tightly grasped the hand she held. She shook it a little and called out to him again in a hoarser voice, but there was no answer. Bertha burst into tears and knelt down sobbing by the bed. Hush, said the countess angrily. You will disturb him. Why do you cry so? It is nothing serious, nothing very serious. And she looked around appealingly, her eyes resting in spite of herself upon Madeleine. We must hope not, said the latter, now venturing to draw near. The doctor will be here again shortly, and, if you would permit me to advise, I would suggest that Count Tristan should remain undisturbed. I only ask that he speak to me once exclaimed the countess in peevish distress. A mother may demand that. 
do you hear me my son why why will you not answer her voice was raised to a high pitch but it did not seem to reach the ears of the insensible man voices in the entry attracted madeleine's attention the sound of well-known tones reached her ears and she hastily left the room the servant was communicating to maurice the sad event which had just taken place madeleine beckoned her cousin to follow to her boudoir and in a few words recounted what had just taken place maurice had listened too completely awe-stricken for language until madeleine rose and asked will you not go to him now maurice then he ejaculated how mysteriously all things are ordered madeleine truly you are the ministering angel of our family as maurice with madeleine entered the chamber where count tristan lay the countess experienced a revulsion of feeling at beholding them side by side and cried out in a louder tone than seemed natural in that chamber at the moment maurice maurice i have wanted you so much to advise me you see your father's condition he does not seem to recognize us but it cannot be anything serious the great point is to make arrangements for removing him at once to the hotel you must attend to that i wish no time to be lost maurice was gazing in dumb anguish upon his father's altered face and though no tears moistened his eyes his frame shook with emotion far more painful to man than weeping is to woman you will see to his immediate removal repeated his grandmother authoritatively finding that he did not notice her request that cannot be done with safety i feel certain answered maurice but he cannot remain here persisted the countess he must be taken to the hotel where i can watch him you would not have the attempt made at the risk of his life remarked maurice with more sternness than he intended madeleine gently interposed dr bayard the physician who was called in promised to return in a couple of hours he must be here shortly will it not be best to ask his opinion and if he says count tristan cannot yet be removed with safety i entreat madame that you will allow me to place this suite of apartments at your disposal and his they are wholly disconnected with the rest of the house and you can be as private as you desire do you expect me to remain under this roof your roof do you imagine that i will allow my son to remain here even in his present condition oh this is too much this would be more terrible than all the rest i could not humble myself to endure that the countess spoke in a perfect agony of mortification madeleine only replied there is no necessity for a decision until you have consulted the physician maurice thought it wise to echo her words the countess was partially soothed for the time being and sat down to await the coming of dr bayard End of chapter thirty seven